That's his cap badge. It's his actual cap badge. And uh, the Royal Dublin Fusiliers. Uh, and that was the cap badge of my 17-year-old uncle, hiding in light infantry. And he died in the Somme? Ah, he was never found. He was never found, Mary. There, service medals. Three service medals. One was my father, my father, and the other two... I had two uncles. One uh, uh, went to live in Liverpool, and my other uncle, he survived the war, but he he had very bad war wounds. Uh, he was uh, he was very very poor, and lived very poorly of his war wounds. This here and that is the same. The first battle of the First World War was Mons, M-O-N-S, and you often heard of the retreat from Mons, where the British Army had where suffered a major, major defeat. Now, it's on the back there, you see? If you can see there, that's the Mon, that's the Monster. And this is Lance Corporal P. Cummins, yeah, Royal that's my Fusiliers. Yeah, he became, yeah. Uh, he, he got Sergeant Stripes uh, then uh, after that, say, after that. So you had, your father and two uncles were in the first three, world. Three uncles. Three uncles, yeah. yeah. Uncle Christy, Uncle Jim, and uh, Uncle John, who was in the, uh, uh, the Highland Night Infantry. I, I, I wear them. I wear them. The people who were earned them wear them there. I wear them from there on that side. I wear them on the right hand side. Gorman Cemetery on Blackhorse Avenue in Dublin and this is a, a war cemetery there are a lot of graves here on one side my right hand side there are the graves of the men many of them who actually survived the war and uh, they are a lot of them here are, are clearly remembered because there are wreaths and flowers have been put there because they lived to great old age many of them so they have families they have children and grandchildren to remember them on the other side there are rows and rows of uh, gravestones uh, remembering the men who actually died in the first world war and there are no flowers there there are no memories they they probably died well we know they were very young men when they died so they many of them wouldn't have been married wouldn't have had children so there's no memory of dedicated to them except the gravestones themselves 
My father left a wonderful letter describing it all to his mother when he got to Imbros. Imbros was about uh, nine miles from uh, Gallipoli and um, the waves wove, uh, rose about 300 feet into the sky when the magazine went up and um, that was around about 4am and they had, I think, uh, gone down to the pier around about 1.30. That's when the, um, uh, the, the, the troops had taken off and uh, anyway, uh, so they were lucky to be able to get out a little bit further and then the next thing was there was a second explosion and he must have been on the deck because he said he was his hat was his cap was lifted off his head about five, 15 feet and uh, anyway and he was thrown down into the engine room that may have saved him but there were more casualties Finally, anyway, they got out to this hospital ship, ship, but there was this gale blowing and they couldn't get alongside it. And in fact, they made a hole in the hospital ship. So um, they were told to go back uh, to um, their berth, but they couldn't go back. And uh, they knew they'd be driven up on the shore. But during that period... um, some man, shortly after they had actually left the pier, now this isn't in the letter but my father told me, they saw some man coming down, running down to the beach and waving his hands and they had to put back into him for just a second to get him out. And somebody else then on this little lighter went mad and for his own sake, for his own safety uh, and for the safety of everybody around him, they had to take off a door off its hinges and strap this man down to the door. It was the only way that they could control him. And um, then they had a problem when they got up against this uh, big hospital ship and there was a man overboard and did a terrible job trying to get him back on, as you can imagine. And their cutter, and it's all in this letter here, was at an angle of 60 degrees. And they took off all their heavy clothes and things, ready to swim, can't you imagine, in a gale. <laughs> and they threw a, stir- a rope around the stern and uh, the second time they caught it, thanks be to God. And then um, the hospital ship uh, signalled for a tow, um, some kind of a towboat to come out and towed them to Imbros, which was now nine miles away. But they felt the uh, explosion in Imbros, the tremendous explosion. And uh, um, anyway, uh, they got to Imbros where they landed their dead. And uh, then they went out in, a, in their little cutter, their little lighter, out to uh, the hospital ship, the Letitia. And this is the letter from the Letitia here. And they had to go to New Dross from uh, from. Uh, in the Letitia, and that's where he wrote this letter on the uh, 10th of January. Did this letter... He sent it to his mother. He sent it to and his where mother. Where did she live? Marion Square. That's because, you see, that was Marion Square, uh, because father had the co-founder of Hollis Street with a, a Dr Barry. That was grandfather, yes. And he'd been an ex-sick... When, when the war started, he, uh, he, he listened to the Royal Dublin Shoes Lears, and... He, uh, I think we done some. He may have done some of his training here in the Phoenix Park. I th- there was, I'm, we're not quite sure about that, but he did. He, he, uh, his rank while he was in the in the the Royal Dublin Shooters was a sapper. It's a tough old assignment as being a sapper, you know. The we know he went to uh, the. He was in the Dardanelles. He was in the Somme. And he fought the Germans in in uh, Bulgaria at one stage. You know, those are some of the th- those are only some of the things that we know about. You know, but uh, while he was in in, in in the Dardanelles, rather, he was he was wounded twice. The first one he was shot through the leg, and he had this uh, wound that never really healed. It healed up, 
for a while and then it just break out again. And he used to treat that himself with crude, most crude uh, medicines you, you could think about. It, it was a, he used to bathe it in Jay's fluid and pour iodine into it. That was his way. It never, it never it made it worse of anything, you know. But he, it healed up and it, 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 it break out again. But the, the next time he was wounded, it, it, uh, he was car- himself and two comrades were carrying two uh, boxes of, of ammunition, two wooden boxes with rope handles. And he was in the middle, and there was two chaps on the outside. And a, a shell exploded close by and killed the two men on the outside. He survived it with very severe back wounds. Anyway, he just he continued on through the war. He, he, you know, he did. He wasn't discharged, but he, he was just, he, he wasn't discharged on medical grounds. He just finished his, his he, he, he finished his, his soldiering as a, 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 you know, in good health and none of the worst of his injuries. But uh, as I said, then he didn't come home. Then he re-enlisted instead of coming back here to Dublin. He re-enlisted in the, the Royal Engineers. He went off to a different part of the world altogether, to Syria and Palestine and uh, India. He was three years in India. And uh, he he was in Aden as well. There was another instance he was involved in too. He was was shipwrecked in the Indian Ocean. We're not sure when that happened. That might have happened while he was in the Navy. Or, 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 it could have happened then while he was in India, but not sure, you know. But that's, that's, on, that's on his, on his uh, military record. And uh, he was five days and five nights, five complete days, marooned on a, on a, on a raft before he was picked up. And uh, that's what happened. That's what happened there. It, it's... Uh, you get a bit more emotional talking about things, but um, you must remember the, the 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 condition of our country. We were a colonial country, and people they they, they when the war was declared, there was an unusual, the, the the frenzy was whipped up, whipped up. You know, we had British army bands going to the city, going to our city and parts of the country, encouraging people to join. And naturally, they joined. Some people joined for a a job. Some people joined to have a suit of clothes, a uniform. Things were that bad in in our country uh, at that time. And they, Mary, they kept their heads down when they came home. They didn't come home to a country fit for heroes. This one is addressed to Miss Roberts. So who would that have been? There's my mother. So she she wasn't married when she started all this. How old would she have been about? Uh... She was in her twenties, right? Yeah. And what what gave her the idea <laughs> to do this? Because <laughs> I suppose you know, nineteen fourteen was fairly uh, an amazing event, and I suppose if you had friends or relations joining up, 
It, it was the sort of practical thing you could do to help them. Yeah. But she she didn't send to the officers. She sent to the to the men, the, the nearly all privates, as you can see. That's right, yeah. And yeah. the majority of them, of course, were Irish. She got in touch with, with the office, some officer, I think, in the B Company, Royal Dublin. She decided to send to Royal Dublin Fusiliers. And, um, and she used to get these boxes. I don't know what they were like, perhaps wooden boxes. And she used to pack them with things she thought the men would be interested in. And as you read the letters, you'll see the things, because they thank her then. They wrote to her individually to thank her for the things, and then she used to say to them, if you want anything in particular, let me know. She used to send them things like cigarettes, matches, writing paper, penknife, a razor, all the sort of things that they might be short of. Because this is the original thing, those in type. Rules for the band to help us, to the soldiers. There you are. Oh, I see. This society will last during the war and shall be called Band of Helpers for the Soldiers. Members pay three pence on being enrolled, which some will go towards buying comforts also for postage of goods to the front. Members to send monthly, addressed to Miss Monica Roberts, that's your mother, Kelston's to Lorgan, some contribution, however small, either in money or any of the following articles, all of which are said to be useful by the War Office, such as handkerchiefs, bootlaces, chocolate, peppermint, dried fruits, briar pipes and tobacco pouches, tobacco, cigarettes, cigarette tobacco and cigarette papers, small tins of brassic ointment or borated Vaseline for sore feet. So that when I was making inquiries up, the, up in the Black Horse Avenue cemetery there, uh, I was told he was in the Leinster rifles. The medal proved, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, and then I made other inquiries, and he is and was a member of the Rydman Fusiliers. He, he was a, an old contemptible. He went over with the first lot of... Uh, Soldiers that went to the continent yeah. at the outbreak of the war. That's the first war. The, where we lived in Dominic Street, there was, we had a little fender that surrounded the fireplace. And I remember somebody giving me porridge. And it was like cake, in the sense that it was after being fried, after being cooked. And I since found out that my father used to do that. So that's yeah. the connection there. Yeah. What's the other Cancer of the throat. He had been wounded on three occasions, but I don't know what part of the body he had been wounded or how serious, other than a bit of information he wrote down himself on a postcard-type situation. In times when you were being discharged, they would ask you, how are you feeling now? And if you're feeling well then, and then when you went to make a claim, you said, when you're leaving, you were all right, and we can't. And he did make strenuous efforts not to give pensions. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that occurred with my because my mother lived in extreme poverty when I grown up. And it was the result of that. And in the meantime, she was at the start now, an outbreak, at a, starting an onset of uh, mental stress, and it led to her confinement. 
My father came from a, a small village called Clahan, which is in the shadow of um, Mount Brandon in County Kerry. And he joined the army as um, he was a dispatch rider sent off to the Middle East. Now, the First World War began with the terrible assassination of the Archduke in Sarajevo. And I've been in Sarajevo, and I've actually stood on the spot where this killing took place. And I stood there for a long time thinking, what was the connection between Sarajevo and this little small place, Clahan, in County Kerry? Well, for me, of course, the connection was my father. There must have been many, many young men at that time 1914, who joined the British Army and were sent off to places that they could never have heard about, like like Sarajevo, like um, Gallipoli, Palestine, Bulgaria. My mother's youngest brother, he was only 17, Mary, and he was killed on the 26th of August, 1916. He was killed in the Battle of the Somme at 17 years of age. He, 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 he died on the Somme. Okay. Yeah, but Nickel, that was his name, N-I-C. My mother's maiden name was Nickel, N-I-C-H-O-L-L, John. J. Nickel, J. Nickel. And by some quirk, Mary, uh, he, he was in the city of Glasgow Regiment, of the Highland Light Infantry. Uh, first of all, it's well known that the soldiers who come back never talked about it. Never talked about it. Because it was so horrible, so dreadful. It, 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 I stood in the trenches in, in Vimy Ridge where the Canadians fought and under frightful uh, losses. And they have, they have a, a monument which took seven years to build. It's the most gigantic uh, uh, monument to all, all the dead. I can only describe it in, in terms of the frightful injuries that the men, who the men died of disease, and starvation, you know. I saw one picture, Mary, and it showed a, a soldier with trench foot, trench foot. That was standing, standing in, in clothes that went chains, dirty feet, wet feet, wet feet. And it was like, it was like a, a poor man or woman with leprosy. It was dreadful. So it was absolute dreadful, and we were brought, we were brought all underneath the, these uh, passageways un, under the land, where they they tried to nurse the injured soldiers, so and where the, the 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 war was planned locally, uh, in 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 these trenches in uh, in Vimy Ridge. And uh, anyway, so it wasn't until we were much older did he, yes, uh, that, that, uh, that I got interested. And it was then that he told me about, you know, some of the conditions absolutely appalling and, uh, and the wounds and, and so on. And was he happy to talk about it? Kind of, really. He didn't give me as much as he could have. But then I suppose I was a medical student when I was interested in it. And uh, then I was away in Nigeria and 
I could have talked more to him, but the opportunity then didn't really arise. But they didn't talk about their experiences. The uh, only I thing he told us one time was that <clears throat> he used to go up into the trenches. I mean, they went up into the trenches. And one time his Batman came down to say that there was a man very, very seriously uh, wounded up in the trench. He didn't think he would live. Well, Daddy crawled up into the trenches to be with the man and see what he could do for him. And uh, this man looked at my father and he said, Doc, do you believe there is a God? Daddy said he was shaken to the core of his being. I mean, he had grown up just sort of taking his faith for granted. And if they, although he had always been very strong, evidently even as a boy, you know, in his practices. But he said, this man who was actually dying, he turns to him and says, do you believe there is a God? So Daddy said that he hesitated for a while and uh, probably not as long as he thought he did, you know, and he said, yes, I do believe there is a God. And then the man said to him, do you really believe, Doc? And Daddy said, yes, I do. The man looked at him and he said, I wish I had your faith. And he died in my father's arms. So Daddy said, well, he really had the wish for faith, you know, and he thought, but it was, he said that was a very much, a very significant moment in his own life, you know, that uh, that sort of hit him as a young man of, uh, of, not quite 25, you know, in these most appalling conditions. And he, he, he arrived home. The, the family had moved down to monasteries. And that's where he arrived home to after nearly 20 years. And you can imagine the, the surprise on my grandmother's. She, the surprise she got when she arrived at the door and said, if I had to stand another 20, 20 odd years away, you know. He was, he, he was, I think he was nearly around the 40 mark, we're not sure. I think he could have been 40. Yeah. Well, the, the, the family he left, was a, was a completely different family to the one he came home to because while he was away in the army, his father died, two brothers died, and a sister died. So you can imagine that his troubles didn't end when he came home, you know. But uh, that was the first he knew about it when he arrived home at the hall door after all those years. He was a very quiet man, very, very quiet. He was a, he was a very, very clever man. Highly intelligent, well read, and uh, but he had a very turbulent life, the whole of his life, because he never really knew what it was to have a, a night's sleep, because this business that he was, this this war that he was through, had a terrible effect on. I suppose the same thing with most soldiers; it had an effect on their lives. And he uh, he was constantly waking up at, at night time, sh- shouting and roaring and very distressed and uh, he uh, he always kept a, a, a small baby power or an agony of whiskey under his, under his pillow and when, he, when he'd wake up in, in, in this state you'd hear him guzzling down the whiskey and that certainly used to calm him down, calm him down a bit and uh, 
that they were too traumatised. I think that I think that was the reason that they, and none of them spoke, you know. But uh, other things I remember about him now, he, uh, he he read a lot, but yeah, but he seemed to get uh, he, he he read a lot of cowboy books as well. I think an awful lot of the soldiers did. I think it was a sort of a therapy or something like that, or, or uh, escapism. You know, that was common among the, among British soldiers. And, uh, you know, and uh, I, I think I told... I don't know whether I told you a while ago. The, uh, one of the things I remember about him was uh, he'd be sitting on a, on, a, on a chair at home and he'd be reading a book and he'd just doze off asleep. And when he'd be asleep for a while, you'd see all his face movement, his face is flickering, his eyes would be flickering, and then you could see the sweat pouring down the side of his face and then he'd just jump up with a scream and you could see the terrified look on his face he was terrified and he'd just sit there for a while until he gathered his wits and uh, he'd come to then and he'd get all right again but that was a constant habit he had he had to suffer for most of his life Mm -hmm. you know I think I recognised Christy Fox's handwriting here. Christy Fox, he said, but Miss Roberts, that you are the only friend I have. Poor Christy, I don't know whether he got through at all. Pat Byrne, 2nd Battalion, Royal Dublin Fusiliers. 18 months. Well, they were beginning to get a bit frowned off, I think, by them, but they never let on. They never let on that they were getting browned off. Mm-hmm. This is Mordant. There are a lot of letters from Mordant. Best of good luck. <laughs> Morton, I he was Morton. I know survived because, um, but there he is, obviously showing off. He'd had an injury to his arm. You see, he's sort of holding his arm. He, I think, he was on sick leave at that time. Oh yeah, these fellas. Yeah, I remember them. Yeah, and uh, Morton, uh, just a line. Hoping to find you in good heart, as it leaves myself at present. From sending this photo, I just got it taken. I'm on the right, marked with a cross, with the best of wishes from... So you see the extraordinary clothes they wore? (laughs) They were so thick and heavy, weren't they? I've just come across this in my kit bag, a snapshot taken some two years ago, consisting of my brother, three chums and myself, all in khaki now, except the tall one standing, who could not pass the doctor. I always liked that one of Mordant. Yes. 
<laughs> he looks like real cocky, sort of. He does, doesn't he? I think he's still got his army boots on, hasn't he? And his flat cap, but the rest of him is in his... Civvies, yes. His summer suit. Well, I think he and was... a kind of seaside scene painted behind, isn't it? The screen. Yeah, that's right. Mm. <clears throat> I suppose when we children were growing up, she thought we weren't really interested. Well, we weren't, you know. When you get married and have a family, it's a different life to what, what you had before. But, but luckily I didn't destroy them all. And, and a lot of them got eaten by mice. But the ones that didn't, uh, <clears throat> you see them here now. Were, were they up in an attic or something? The ones that were eaten by mice. <laughs> they were in the hot press. <laughs> oh, I've spent evenings reading them and found, decide, yeah. found that it was 2 a.m. or something. Yeah. You get totally immersed in them. Some of the men wrote back, so the families do have uh, some memories of, of the war, but many of them didn't, and most of them who came back never talked about their experiences. They never talked about the war at all. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't deep in their hearts. Um, most of them had a little box tucked away somewhere or other where they kept mementos of the war, photographs perhaps of old comrades, medals that they'd been awarded... Uh, and these tin boxes and the photographs that are on the walls of homes all over Ireland, those are the memories that we've got and that they had. Well, he, he, he spoke to my brother. He was no longer... He died last year. He, 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 he you know, he used to... T my brother used to question him about it and just sort of drag the information out of him. Did you ever talk to him? Not a lot, no. He wasn't the best of friends. <laughs> so he, was a, he was a great man, but uh, if he didn't get on, it was mostly my fault, you know. But anyway... Uh, so uh, he brought back his own memories? Yes. He, he, had him, he had him in a little metal box on the top of a shelf in a schoolery at home, and it, that was never opened. Very seldom, I can only remember it opened once, but all his memorabilia went in that, and all his photographs and everything... No one was allowed to touch that. We, 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 did, uh, we did open it when he died. And uh, we, we t most, some, of the, uh, some of the stuff he had in these, some old photographs and some of the Maribavia, some of his sisters have it. I have some of it, you know, and that's the way it is, you know. But uh, that's the reason he held, he held on to everything. But we were surprised at all the stuff that was in it. You know, and uh, so he had the photos in the tin box. He had the photos in the tins. He had his discharge papers. He had some old uh, what old calendars uh, and uh, little bags that, that he used to part of his uniform. You know, little leather like purses and things like that for it. That he that he uh, oh, it was part of his uniform. You know. He never, he never got a pension. I don't think he even applied for it. But uh, he had no ill effects from the from the wounds he see, he received in the explosion. 
that killed his two friends, but uh, he, he, he suffered the whole of his life with, that, with this leg wound. Uh, I think I just told you that. He used to attend every uh, the memorial service in Ireland Bridge and in St. Patrick's Cathedral. He, always, he made no bones about it. He wore his medal and he wore his poppies going to these things, you know. And... Uh, uh, I was talking to a neighbour one time, a cousin of mine, and I was looking for information, needless to say. And she said she remembered me uncle and my father in their uniforms. And we were, the, the mother must be living in North Ant Street. And there seems there was a pub on the corner that used to sell all bits and pieces. And they bring that in to treat her to sweets. Now that's the only she, she, she probably spoke to me more about him than anybody else in the family. Now, as I say, I don't know where he was ruined or anything like that. But do you have any idea of his age, like how old? He, he was? was thirty-eight when he died. Oh, was he? Mm. Yeah. My aunt's husband. He was in the Liverpool Rifles, but uh, he was knocked about. He finished up with a, a, a plate on his head. Injuries, like, you know, he survived the war, but there was another member of the family. In Dominic Street, I imagine every house in it had some members. And in Dominic Street itself, the tenements were so large, tremendously large, and each room in the tenements was a, a family of five. That's uh, limiting the downwards... Air house in particular, there was something like <coughs> 20 families all in a room each. There was a neighbour of mine, Clan Dyle. He was in one of the bridges regiments, I don't know which one it was. And uh, he got a job on the railway. And you'd know when you were going to work. He had a Union Jack stuck on his door. This now when he was on his own, perhaps his family might never even known about it. But he had a, a Union Jack, and when he closed his door, he'd stamp his foot as if he was a soldier. And who knows, if there's somebody looking, he was probably saluting at the same time. And he'd march off down it. There's like a, a hospital corridor, only miniature, and you hear him stamping it off, six o'clock in the morning. That was one of the, uh, the neighbours. But there was lots more that I wouldn't have been aware of, like, you know. Yeah. And then, of course, when the second outbreak went, it was all the same way again. They all went off doing that thing from, you know, nobody asked them. Perhaps it was jobs, a sense of adventure or something like that. Well, I think, I mean, I think it was an unspoken sort of, uh, you know, sadness that, I mean, there was no recognition given. It was... It wasn't too much, you see, that he wouldn't have been actually in the fighting situation. But he felt... There were two things, I mean, because he he never forgave the British High Command for their handling of Gallipoli. I mean, when he spoke about the landings of the Monsters and, and Dublin Fusiliers, which had been sort of six months before they went out in 1915. They landed in 1915... And then the Anzacs, um, the Anzac beaches were next door to their beaches, you know. And um, 
he could very well understand all the antipathy that was in Australia, New Zealand towards uh, the British uh, over that, you know. So, I mean, he would bring us down Camden Street and we would go through the little narrow... um, the little narrow it's Redmond's Hill down towards where Whitefriars Street is now <coughs> into Angel Street. But that narrow little bit they all knew as the Dardanelles. And it was referred to but he he used to he did say to us, you know, that at the time of the landing of the Monsters and Dublin Fusiliers, he said there wasn't a house in the coombe that didn't have black crepe on the locker. And it was when we actually saw, in that the exhibition in the Civic Museum, and we saw the Guinness Board of Remembers. They have a huge board for all the men that worked in Guinness that joined up and that were, were killed. I mean, it did show you, because that's the area they would have lived in. They would have lived in the Liberties and that. And uh, so... The Lansdowne 15. My father played rugby for Lansdowne. And I think only 11, 11 of them were killed. Only a few handful came back. In 1946, when I, I was at the mob from the Irish Army, uh, one of my friends said, we ought to do up your room for you. So we got a couple of rolls of paper. And this was stuck behind one of the rolls of paper. It was covered, like, you know, we were able to salvage it. But uh, uh, that's the, the mob date there, and your neighbours there. That information is exact there. And down here it was where he was wounded. That's the, the war there, wounded. And uh, But I was never able to get it any clearer than that. It's quite precious, though, to have it. Oh, well, it's the only yeah. item that I have, yeah. is, uh, other than your metal needles. Yeah. Uh, but... And I wouldn't have even found uh, all the, uh, the two lads, or one lad rather, came up to give me a hundred of wallpaper. Well, my father was 1928, and at that stage uh, it was 1946. So he, yeah. And as I say, only for, he gave me a hundred. I would have never thought, I'd never say how to do the wallpaper, and, you know, he just said, well, you have to do something with this, so that's what he. I was more than surprised, so I kept it all the time. I'd have never known that he ruined it or anything. There's no history. We never, as you know yourself now, we never discussed anything. Yeah. I'd like to know what his feelings were during the, 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 the fight and in actual, like, you know, did he want to make a run for it? Did he want to stay where he was? Would he be better off at home? You know? But then, as, as some of the lectures that we've had when you were talking about, the war, especially with the Dublin Fusiliers, and there quite a few joined for work, you know. So they would have joined one way or another. Mm-hmm. And then the, the Dublin Fusiliers needed to say, uh, I just say, uh, there in Pastry, they had the recruiting centres for soldiers in them years, like, you know. And their headquarters was out in Nice. So it was a way of other than the, uh, the, the higher the number regiment in the uh, Royal Dublin Fusiliers, they were mostly uh, 
from colleges and the like of that. Like, you know, generally they're real regular soldiers or they're career soldiers. They were like, it was really a job of work. It wouldn't matter what side they were on, really. I certainly don't think it was uh, love of the Queen or the King. <laughs> it would have been the King at that time, but... But it was a way of living, in any case, for them. And the poverty in Dublin at that time, like, you know, you, you just just can't imagine it, like, you know. That's just a photograph of my father. That's it. after his, uh, the back wounds, the, you know, the, the wounds he, see, he received in his back. He, he, he couldn't lie on, on his back. He had to sleep on his stomach. That's the, that's just it. Oh, you, have, you saw that one. That was the two chaps that was there. Yes, sir. That's the old original photograph. These are the ones that were, that were when he was killed, or they were killed carrying the ammunition box? Yes, yeah, those were the two of them. Yeah. They were two best friends. He carried the picture of the two of them yes. Yes, in the yeah. tin box. Yeah. 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 My father died uh, just about 25 years ago in his late 80s. He was one of the lucky ones that survived. He ended his days in Leopardstown Park Hospital, which was a, a home for old soldiers. So he died there, and his coffin was draped with Union Jack. And uh, when the coffin was due to be taken out, the Union Jack was taken off and folded off and put away. And... Uh, I noticed that at the door of the chapel there were two old men, one sitting in a wheelchair and the other standing behind him. And they were old soldiers, I knew this because they were wearing their blackberries. And as the coffin was carried past them, they both saluted it. the Lord called me that all this will be shown that my family will keep it and uh, and show it to their friends about their, their grandfather you know and what they, they put up with a terrible lot you know as I say they didn't come back to a country for heroes what 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 is it said from far foreign fields from Dunkirk to Belgrade lie the soldiers and chiefs of the Irish Brigade. Is that right? <laughs> 